You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Be grounded in the process. If you're going to get um, rattled really easily, then realize that you're going to expose yourself and it might be better to just sort of step back and like, okay, do I want to do this? How do I want to do it? Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from Harbor Labs and the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. we got some good stories to share this week. And later in the show, Kathleen Smith from clearjobs.net joins us. She's got insights on job scams. But first, a word from our sponsors at Know Before. We're not talking conspiracy theory when we say it's all connected. When it comes to InfoSec tools, effective integrations can make or break your security stack. Though not as common, the same should be true for security awareness training. Not only does Know Before deliver the world's largest library of security awareness training, but they also provide a way to integrate the various elements of your existing security stack to help you strengthen your organization's security culture. Stay with us, and in a few minutes, we'll hear from our sponsors at Know Before about how you can integrate security awareness with your tech stack like never before. All right, Joe, uh, before we jump into our stories here, we've got a little bit of feedback from one of our listeners. Yeah, this is an experience that Steve wrote in to talk about. He said he's a longtime listener and big fan of the show, and he wanted, but he wishes that his wife also was a longtime listener and big fan of the show because she got duped by scammers before Steve could stop her. Mm. Uh, and they got into the Verizon wireless account. Oh, my. So they had to know his wife's phone number, and they called her posing as Verizon fraud agents. Hmm. They asked if she had ordered an expensive iPhone and sent it, uh, said it to be shipped to California. Uh, they live in New Hampshire, so that would not be the case. <laughs> she said no, and they said they had to lock our account to stop the fraud with a pin that they would send to her. My wife then got a text from Verizon, which was legit, uh, actually coming from Verizon. Yeah. And she read it to them. Uh, and that's when Steve walked into the room. And he, uh, she explained what was going on, and Steve says, my hackles went up. Hmm. Uh, she put them on speaker, and I asked what department they were from and, and how I could prove it. Uh, and they said they were from Verizon Fraud and proceeded to read the last three payments to the account. Hmm. You know what's going on here, Dave? Uh Yes, <laughs> right. <laughs> but continue on. Well, let's unpack it after it all okay. plays out here. So Steve says, uh, the call dropped for some reason, and I ran to try to log into my Verizon account, which I could not do. Mm. They were in. I called Verizon support, and after a short time, we had control of our account again. We checked for any orders, and there were none. I opened a ticket with the fraud department just to be sure. And just to confirm, I checked the last three payments, and they were exactly what the scammers told me. Well, they were in your account is yeah. what happened. Yeah. Um, if my wife had read the legitimate text from Verizon, particularly the part where Verizon says, Verizon will never ask you for this code, this could have been avoided. 
Mm. Uh, scammers just use Verizon's password reset feature on their website to send the authentication code. They just needed to uh, have the right phone number and get the code. And that's what this attack was. Hmm. Steve said that he hopes this helps others and he wants us to keep up the great podcasting, which I'm sure we'll be able to do. <laughs> uh, but Steve, thank you for sending this in. This is a really good uh, example of of the social engineering attacks that happen on people. Right. All they needed was your wife's phone number and they probably had some information from some data breach somewhere that had an email address, which was probably used as a login for your Verizon account. Yeah. And they already knew that information. So they... They said we're going to send a password reset pin to your uh, your phone, but they call your wife and lie to her with some pretext that says we're from Verizon and we're going to need this pin. Mm-hmm. And they put the heat on because they say there's an expensive iPhone that's on the way, right? right? It's ready to be shipped. And shipped to California. Yeah, so if you don't want to be on the hook for paying for that expensive iPhone. Yeah, so those are what, $1,400, Dave? And, and rising. And yeah. rising. <laughs> All you need to do is send us, we're going to send you a number and all you need to do is repeat it back to us. Right. Yeah. Which, And then as you say, of course, what they're really doing is getting your PIN to log into your account to do a password reset. Correct. Yeah. Hmm. I wonder what uh, you could do to prevent this other than uh, just being aware of it. Um, trying to think of, of some, uh, could you put additional... Uh, countermeasures on your Verizon account. I'm not that familiar with yeah, I don't how know. Verizon sets um, it up. I know that when I call my mobile provider, which is not Verizon, by the way, yeah, that I have to provide them with a pin over the phone. Mm-hmm. I don't generally use the web interface to interact with my, uh, my uh, not Verizon, uh, my w- mobile provider. Yeah. So I, I'm not sure how that works. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Yeah, it's a good question. Really, the I think the onus here falls on Verizon. Uh, this, uh, but at the same point in time, I don't know how they can prevent against this because they want ease of use. Yeah, for the yeah. customers, right? Uh, I think if you need a password reset for the website, you call in, mm-hmm. um, and you have to verify uh, information. But then again, maybe these guys would have been able to do that. Yeah, and you know, imagine how common password resets are. That that seems like something that it's in everyone's best interest to have automated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but at the same time, you can see that it makes it open to these sorts of things. I mean, really, if you think about it, it's the fraudsters who are putting the manpower into this. Yes, right, correct. Yeah, because there's big bucks in it for them. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you could have a special note put on your account that says, you know, every time. Uh, hey, Verizon, every time you call me, uh, for me to know that it's you, you know, say the words peanut butter or something like that, you know? Right. (laughs) That'd be good to know. Yeah. Yeah, So you could ask Verizon, what's the password? Yeah, right. Or, yeah, is there something you want to tell me, Verizon? And Verizon says peanut butter. Ah, okay, good. You know, it's something that only Verizon would know because it was literally a note in your account and not a, um, you know, something that you'd entered in like a password or something like that. Who right. knows? I, I mean, it's, it's probably overthinking it and it's, and it's more complicated than that or less complicated than that or whatever. Verizon wouldn't want to add that level of complication to, for their, for their uh, tech support folks, but can't hurt by asking, right? <laughs> All right. Well, our thanks to Steve for writing in a uh, good story. Yeah. And uh, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is hackinghumans.com at thecyberwire.com. 
All right, Joe, let's jump into our own stories this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to start things off for us this time. This is uh, actually some research that uh, came my way. These, this is via the folks over at Akamai, mm-hmm. uh, and this is from uh, Sharon Guez, uh, and it's titled Chatbots, Celebrities, and Victim Retargeting, Why Crypto Giveaway Scams Are Still So Successful. Hmm. So this research from Akamai really walks you through what these giveaway scams are. Now, Joe, I'm old enough, and you and I are around the same age, that I remember when these scams centered on Bill Gates, right? Yes. (laughs) Who I believe at the time was the richest man in the world. Uh, Yeah, at the time he was. (laughs) Yeah. And these days, of course, the richest man in the world is... Uh, it's either Bezos or Musk, but yeah. I think Musk is now no longer the richest man in the world because he has uh, sunk so much of his money into Twitter. <laughs> right, right. Which is now uh, uh, losing value rapidly. I'm going to go with Bezos. Yeah, well, I think you're right, but I think Musk is the more popular one in pop culture. Yes, oh, yeah. certainly the more popular one for these scams. He's certainly and... a crypto bro, as they say. <laughs> that's right, that's right. So this uh, research really focuses on these crypto giveaway scams, which is where... Uh, the bad guys do things on social media uh, to try to get people involved in scams involving cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. And I think this is something that probably most of us have seen. The example they use here is is probably the most common one these days. They have a screenshot from a tweet that uh, pretends to be from Elon Musk. Mm-hmm. It says, at Elon Musk. It has Elon Musk's name and picture and a verified checkmark there. And it says, biggest crypto giveaway of $100 million. Join here. And then there's a link. Uh, And then, of course, if you go through there, it's a scam. Right. Um, They also talk about uh, some of the other tactics that these folks use, where they will use the social media account of a popular person, like an Elon, Elon Musk. Right. And they will tag on to that. So they'll have a reply Uh, They have an example here, and it says, Our marketing department at Tesla headquarters came up with an idea to hold a special giveaway event for all cryptocurrency fans. If you want to participate, it's easy to do. Just go to the Bitcoin portal below to find out more. And again... That's a scam website. Scam website, right. Right. But they're taking advantage of the popularity of the celebrity. Right. In this case, Elon Musk, who has millions and millions of followers, so chances are that reply will fall on millions and millions of eyeballs. Mm -hmm. Uh, This also talks about how they use uh, direct messaging platforms like WhatsApp or Telegram. They they reach out to people, same sorts of things, just uh, using the celebrity to try to lure you in and say that either there's going to be some kind of a giveaway or... uh, you know, some kind of deal that's too good to be true. (laughs) Hey, it's me, Elon Musk. You want to make some crypto money? Right, right. Do I? (laughs) (laughs) But how many times have you gotten one of these? Something like this. I don't know that I've ever gotten a crypto scam. Is that right? Like this. Yeah, I mean, I've seen them on on websites or on Twitter and things like that. Yeah. Uh, Crypto. But every time I I roll through them, like, you know, it would be so much easier— to give away crypto. If you really want to give away crypto, just ask people for their crypto addresses and you can just send it to them. That's (laughs) how it works. Right, right. Well, I've seen a few of these over the years. And I said, I I mostly remember ones from Bill Gates. Um, The ones I remember are the ones where it said, send me one Bitcoin and I'll send you back two. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah, you know, that's interesting. I don't see many of those anymore. Maybe, Maybe... 
maybe that's what it leads to if you follow through or something that, you know, you, you, they need some, some sort of, uh, demonstration of your dedication. To right. The, yeah. You to have the, to, to, you the have the to send them some crypto. Mm-hmm. What has to happen at some point. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that this research uh, outlines are the sites where you can buy kits to do this kind of scamming. <laughs> Bet they, yeah. How, <laughs> how convenient that they already have kits to do this kind of right, stuff. Right, right. So if you want to, you can invest some of your money and you can buy one of these kits. And it's basically a turnkey kind of thing with a, in terms of the landing page. So if you go out and, you know, I don't know, Joe, spam your entire uh, address book with friends and say, hey, everybody, it's Joe. I'm giving away crypto. Right. <laughs> and they'll say, is that Moneybags Kerrigan on the line? <laughs> <Moneybags> <laughs> That's what they call me. Crazy Joe's giving away some more crypto. <laughs> the vast so, Kerrigan fortune. That's right. It's millions of dollars, but it's all debt. <laughs> so uh, you could have a landing page that you had purchased from one of these providers, and it has everything you could possibly need to make this scam happen. Um, they also point out that a lot of times these things have um, real-time countdown timers. Uh, <laughs> right? The artificial time horizon. Right, right. So they, I'd like to know if you reload the page, does the timer just start again? Probably. <laughs> probably. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe it's sophisticated enough to drop a cookie or something or right. you know, start, start pestering you. <laughs> Only five more minutes. <laughs> Only five more minutes. <laughs> I imagine a buzzer sounding. Eh, eh. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then, but then they also go on to track uh, a particular Bitcoin address that was used as the recipient of many of these scams. Yeah. Uh, and so, as you well know and have explained to uh, us all many times, uh, if you have that address, you can really have a good look at where all the money's coming from. And right. And that's what they've done here. Well, what address is coming from, what address is it going to? Yes. Yep. Yes. Yes. Uh, they point out, unsurprisingly, that most of the scam kits are coming from Russia. Mm. Uh, I don't think there's any uh, mystery there. Um, but then there's some helpful tips here for how to avoid becoming a victim of a crypto giveaway scam. Uh, they say there are no free gifts. Right. That's number one. <laughs> right, right. Uh, <laughs> don't send cryptocurrency to anyone you don't know. Yep. That seems Unless smart. you're just planning on just giving away some crypto, which people might do out of altruism. Right, right. right. Check and double, except Elon Musk. He's not going to be doing that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Check and double check the verification status of an account. So this has to do with the fact that anybody can put a graphic of a blue check mark next to their account or, yep. you know, it's easy to do. So, uh, yeah, make sure that the people are legit. And odds are they are not. Right. It says check the username. Um, a lot of times impersonated celebrities will have uh, – you know, accounts that sound like the uh, the users, the, the celebrities a name, but isn't actually that. Like Taylor Swift. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> it says, uh, check if the account is new. This is makes a lot of sense yes. because celebrities generally at this point in the game have been on social media for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, if that Elon Musk account is only a few hours old, <laughs> chances are, again, it's not him. Uh, and then they say, do your research. It says legitimate giveaways do exist, but it's always best to verify. Um, I would uh, add that it's probably best just to avoid this stuff yeah. altogether. If, if you, That's right. If you want to gamble, if you really want to gamble, just play, your, play your state lottery or something. Buy, no, like don't do that. Go buy some <laughs> cryptocurrency. Go, go buy some <laughs> cryptocurrency. Yeah, okay, there you go. Right. Right. Although we heard this week, um, what was it, a bunch of uh, crypto ATMs got popped? 
a um, couple million dollars in Bitcoin got drained from... Really? Some, yeah, somebody found a zero-day vulnerability in a <laughs> popular Bitcoin ATM and sucked them dry. Right. So, buyer beware. Yep. Buyer well, actually, beware. does that even affect the the buyer or is that something they just went in and took all the money out of the uh, out of the ATM company's wallets? Oh, I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. Mm-hmm. It, my, my impression was that the users were victims, but you could be right. It could, who knows? Maybe both. <laughs> Let me check how much Dogecoin I have left <laughs> in my wallet, see if they got me. Yeah. All right. Well, we will have a link to that story in the show notes. Joe, what do you have for us this week? So, Dave, this week my story comes from the Federal Trade Commission. Mm. We have been talking a lot about uh, voice fakes. Yeah. And uh, this is actually one that you and I need to pay attention to. Oh. Because the Federal Trade Commission is now warning people that scammers are using AI to enhance their family emergency schemes. Mm. So let's back up. What's a family emergency scheme? This is where someone calls your dad pretending to be you and goes, dad, it's Dave. I'm in trouble. I'm in Mexico and I'm in jail. Mm-hmm. I need about $10,000 or they're going to, they're going to leave me in here to rot. Right. Right. Very common scam. Uh, my father's gotten these before, but it's, uh, it's always somebody with an accent pretending to be one of his grandkids. Uh. And he's and the first thing he mentions is that's a nice accent. When'd you get that? Because you know, his grandkids are all born in America. They right, they have right. American accents. Right. Um, they they don't sound like that. Right. Uh, and then they usually hang up. But if you get a more skilled person on the phone, they're they're going to be able to uh, to do a better job of doing the accent and possibly even impersonating somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you think about the case where it's somebody who doesn't see their grandkids very often, they might not know what the grandkid sounds like. On the phone. Right. So this might be a new uh, a, a new kind of scam. But now what they're saying is they're using voice models, these voice models that are available for free on the internet to use to, yep. to generate speech. Yep. And they're training them on very little audio. Hmm. So one of the things they'll do is they will call the person they want to impersonate and have and just start talking to them hmm. or get them talking. But they're recording the call. Mm. Then they're feeding that recorded call into these voice generators mm-hmm. and they're building a model and then they're able to generate sounds for a conversation that they may play out or that they may actually try to do live on, on the phone. Now, I've played with these voice modulators or these voice models rather. Yeah. Um, they are – there is a little – there would be a little bit of lag in a live conversation. Mm. Uh, but – that lag is not devastating. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's it's very doable. So I, I, the it's this is rose to the level where the FTC is actually warning about it now. Mm. And the reason I said you and I need to uh, be careful with this, Dave, is because there is tons of uh, quality samples of our voice out there on the internet that anybody can access. Right. So I think I'm going to make a family announcement, if you will. <laughs> uh, to everybody in my family. Because this is, one of the things we talk about here is what's your risk model look like, right? Right. right. Well, guess what? My risk model is ripe for exactly this kind of impersonation, mm-hmm. as is yours, unfortunately, yeah. Dave. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to have to do something. Uh, you know, we have, we have uh, 
some some code words we we use in our in our family as well. <laughs> peanut butter, right? Peanut butter. <laughs> exactly. uh, so we have that. Um, but I think I'm going to uh, I think I'm going to like talk to my parents, talk to my brother, uh, my sister, mm-hmm. and. I don't know. Maybe I, I think if I called my cousins asking for money, they'd hang up. So, <laughs> uh, right, right. you know, not this guy again. Uh, <laughs> right. I never called my cousins asking for money. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, I don't know how likely it is that they would, uh, that they would fall for it mm-hmm. um, without talking about it with other people. But it's, it's a really good uh opportunity for people like us, any podcaster, really, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter how popular po- your podcast is. If, if you have your voice in audio out there on the internet, this is a, a, a threat factor you need to be concerned with. Yeah. And it could be that you've given a presentation somewhere that there's a YouTube video of or any, yeah, anything there are like that. Presentations of my, there are YouTube videos of my presentations, I think. Yeah. And, uh, but just for anybody, you know, if you, maybe you were interviewed for something or, right. or there's, my point being that there's probably more out there for most people than you think there is. Yes. Uh, Great thing to do is Google your name and then click videos. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's remarkable how little audio these synthesis modules need to generate a decent-sounding uh, version of you. Right. And especially if they're saying we're far away, we're in a foreign country, you know, half, half a continent away or more. And uh, if they make it sound like it's on a fuzzy phone call, it certainly could be convincing. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Uh, I'm, it's interesting to me that this uh, announcement from the FTC says don't trust the voice. Right. It says to call the person who contacted you and verify the story or um, try to get in touch with other friends and family before you do anything. Indeed. So one of the biggest, um, one of the biggest problems with that is if, if they're convincing enough right? Like I'm in a Mexican jail. They've taken my phone. I'm calling you from a Mexican phone, mm-hmm. phone number. Uh, the person is not going to think that is going to work, right? Maybe right. they're going to, but they should still pick up the phone and call, right? Mm-hmm. And say, and see if you answer, Hey, I thought you were in a Mexican jail. Okay. Hang up the other phone, dad. Right. Um, mm-hmm. whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. And but I think it's also worth pointing out that a lot of times these types of scams, um, Rather than having the person on the other line pretending to be the grandchild or something like that, rather than having the grandchild doing the talking, they'll have someone in authority doing the talking. Right. And they'll have the sound of the grandchild suffering right. in the background. Yeah, they crying or wailing or, you know, Grandpa, help me, you yeah. know, that sort of thing. Just, just and, you know, imagine... What that does to ratchet someone's emotions up and short-circuit their critical thinking. Yes. So I think that angle is something to consider here as well. Yeah, we've had some really horrible stories in this uh, on this show about things like that. Yeah. So yeah. they're coming. They're coming. Uh, at, you know, these, these kind of attacks against people are coming. Yeah. Interesting that it's risen to the level where the Federal Trade Commission feels like it's worth putting out uh, an announcement about it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, those are our stories. Again, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is hackinghumans at thecyberwire.com. Joe, it is time to move on to our catch of the day. (laughs) 
Dave, our catch of the day comes from Jim, who writes, Hello, Dave and Joe. My name is Jim, and I absolutely love the show. So I was going through my spam folder and saw this email. I opened it up and started reading and instantly thought of sending it to you. There are numerous red flags that this is a scam, and I thought you would both enjoy it. Thank you, and keep the awesome content coming. That's another listener who said awesome content. (laughs) It's a good day for us, Dave. (laughs) It is. Thank you, Lisa, for sending in these, uh, these <laughs> lovely notes. Right. She doesn't. <laughs> she, what are we talking about? She, she doesn't listen to the right. show. Yeah. All right. Well, it's uh, allegedly from Sergeant Nola E. Donald uh, with a name that does not match in any way, shape, or form in the email address from Gmail. Yeah. <laughs> it says, attention beneficiary, and it goes like this. My name is Sergeant Nola E. Donald, a citizen of United States of America, 33 years single from Los Angeles. I am a soldier working as United Nations peacekeeping troop in Iraq on war against terrorism. I have in my possession the sum of 5.6 million U.S. dollar, which I made here in Iraq. I deposit this money with a Red Cross agent because of the law. I want you to stand as my foreign beneficiary to receive the fund and keep it safe because I don't trust Red Cross agents. You will keep the money saved in your account so that as soon as I am through with my mission here in Iraq, I will come over to you for us to meet face to face and get to know each other. For your effort, I will give you 50% of the total money for your assistance after you have received the money. I want to assure you with my life that you will never regret your involvement in doing business with me. (laughs) The success of this transaction will depend on our total mutual trust. I pray to Almighty God to take control so that everything will go smoothly. Good appeal to religion. How I got the money. A few weeks ago, our soldiers had encounter and exchanged bullets with some gunmen. And eventually, three of our soldiers were injured in the event, while over 16 of the gunmen were killed. As a nurse in the army, I and my group rushed to give medical attention to our men who were injured at the spot where the 16 gunmen were shot to dead. I saw two trunks and showed it to my fellow, and we decided to force the trunks open and discovered huge amount of dollars. We quickly counted the money and sheared it among ourselves. Mine amounted to 5.6 million USD. That is the money I want you to keep safe till I finish my duty here in Iraq and come down to your country. Shouldn't it be our country? Right. Finally, (laughs) finally, you stand as my foreign beneficiary and receive the fund and keep it safe till I come to your country. You will assist me to invest in a good profitable venture. Don't worry yourself. I will give you 50% of the total money for the assistance after you have received the money. I believe I can trust you. You don't have to be afraid of anything. I have inquired about the arrangement on how to carry out the transaction. We can only communicate through our military communication facilities, which are secured so nobody can monitor our emails, so I can explain in detail to you. I will only reach you through email because our calls might be monitored. I just have to be sure whom I'm dealing with is the right person. Please, if you can handle it, let me know so I will furnish you on the way forward. Your urgent reply is highly needed. Best regard, Sergeant Zero E. Donald. See, now that's a completely different name than Nola E. Donald at the beginning. Yeah. So, uh, well, I guess just the first part's different. <laughs> this one's great. Has all the red flags, right? There, yeah. The, the appeal to religion. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the, uh, you read it like in, in a Russian accent. It looks like it was written by a Russian. <laughs> that's right. Not a lot of articles. And there's, I don't think there's articles in Russian. Yeah. Right? So it's... Uh, it's uh, it's it's totally smells to me like a Russian uh, a Russian scammer here. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Or Eastern European scammers. Yeah, okay. yeah, appealing to greed. Appealing to greed, right? Uh, yep. Need your secrecy. Uh, patriotism, right? Patriotism. A military person. Starts off with, uh, <laughs> since we're both U.S. citizens, but then talks about your country. Um, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, out. I mean, this is a standard trunk scam. It is. Right? I mean, this predates the internet. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I found these two trunks. It's just going to be advanced fees. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to pay fee after fee after fee after fee until you either realize it's a scam or run out of money. Yeah. All right. Well, our thanks to Jim for sending that in to us. We do appreciate it. And again, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is hackinghumans at thecyberwire.com. Back to the concept of integrations. Nobefore's Security Coach uses standard APIs to quickly and easily integrate with your existing security products from vendors like Microsoft, CrowdStrike, Cisco, and dozens of others. Security Coach analyzes alerts your security stack generates to identify events related to any risky security behavior from your users. With this information, you can set up real-time coaching campaigns to target risky users based on those events from your network, endpoint, identity, or web security vendors. These campaigns enable you to coach your users at the moment the risky behavior occurs, with contextual security tips delivered via Microsoft Teams, Slack, or email. With 35 integrations and counting, Security Coach delivers the insight you need to improve your organization's security culture. Learn more about Security Coach at knowbefore.com slash security coach. That's knowbefore.com slash security coach. Joe, I recently had the pleasure of speaking with Kathleen Smith. She is from clearjobs.net. And our conversation centers around job scams and some of the things that her and her colleagues have been tracking. Here's my conversation with Kathleen Smith. I've been in recruitment marketing for over 20 years. And what recruitment marketing means is I am the conduit between a employer and a job seeker. Now, most people may think that that is a staffing firm, a headhunter, a recruiter, but I'm part of a job board that specifically works in the security cleared market, but we also have job fairs. So I am constantly, every day, talking to job seekers and talking to recruiters, both of whom have challenges finding each other. And you, I had always thought after 20 years that they wouldn't have trouble, but finding a job and finding good talent is still a very big issue, no matter where you are, no matter what industry you're talking about. And because it is a challenge, you then have these gaps, these opportunities for scams to come about. And when we talk about scams, when we talk about phishing, we talk about people who are preying on others who are very vulnerable um, and talking to them when they are probably not grounded in what they're doing. They're highly emotional. They're dealing with, you know, issues and tools that they're not familiar with. And those are the, you know, the perfect 
background for an employment scam, for any kind of scam. So when I talk to job seekers in particular, they tell me about how awful recruiters are. And yes, there are recruiters who've been excluded. Yeah, yeah. There's well, no. I mean, I'm not a recruiter. Everyone thinks I'm a recruiter. I talk about recruiting, but I haven't done recruiting in, in quite some time. But a lot of people do. I mean, they will use a lot of swear words and and cuss me out about how bad recruiters are. And then I try to explain to them that there are so many different kinds of people who will recruit. There are, Hmm. you know direct recruiters who work for a company, who work for a Raytheon, who work for a Target or Sony or something like that. Then there are the recruiting agencies who have been tasked with going out and finding candidates. And those are more about getting butts in seats, getting a lot of quantity candidates. You know, let's just throw as many people against the wall as possible. You have headhunters who have been paid a a large fee to find a very, very unique kind of person. And that's usually for an executive kind of position. Sadly, we have also people who are just in, you know, what I call chop shops or very large shops. And all they do is they pound the phone, they pound candidates, they pound customers all the time. And they really are just looking for as many candidates or as many job prospects as possible to just churn and make some money. So Mm -hmm. when um, I've been looking at employment scams, I mean, the first one that I heard of in the security cleared community was a good 15, 18 years ago. And even then I knew that employment scams had been around. So just Hmm. like phishing, just like any kind of scams that are out there, they've been there. We just haven't, you know, seen them as prevalent as we are now. And why are we seeing more of them now? Well, we're seeing a lot of layoffs. So there are a lot of people who are further on edge than they normally would be about finding a job. And so they'll, you know, if they've just been laid off, if they're concerned that they're going to be laid off, they have a certain more, as I said, vulnerability, highly emotional, okay, maybe I should talk to this recruiter, maybe I should talk to this person, maybe I should give some information because I don't know if I'm going to get laid off. And I always say, take a breath, you know, realize it's, it's okay, you you are in control and you are in control of your own job search. So there are some things that I, you know, will go over at the end of our discussion about what I think people should do to keep themselves safe. And they're very basic things. But some of the employment scams, the one that was very big about 15 years ago when social media first came out and secure declared recruiters came on social media when we all went through this discussion, should we be part of it, should we not? Mm. And several bad actors actually put up an entire social media company page and recruiters page mimicking one of the large defense contractors out there. So Hmm. uh, people with security clearances were being contacted by who they thought were security cleared recruiters via one of the large social media platforms. And 
they because many of the government contractors at that point over 15 years ago had not been on social media no one knew to monitor it no one knew to hey is someone mimicking us are there fake profiles uh, of our executives our professionals and lo and behold they found out there were because they had job seekers contacting them saying I was contacted by this recruiter on a social media platform and they said that they had a job for me and they Mm -hmm. found out, wow, we don't even have anyone on social media. So we have a very large problem. Another example has been where government contractors' careers page have actually been copied and if you looked at the URL, you could see that it is very similar but not exact to the way the company lists their URL. And they had a full, you know, these are positions to apply for. These are places you can go and work and just, you know, provide us with some of your vital information like social security numbers and home addresses and things like that. So again, things that typical government contractors would not request during a outreach. So it's good to know what would happen in that case. Is there an additional element of of potential espionage when we're talking about people in the cleared community? Oh, yeah. Uh, It's it's out there. Um, You know, when I would teach at some of the agencies transitioning from working in government work to civilian, and I would recommend being on social media platforms, I usually got my head bitten off saying, but you know, there are all those actors. And I just looked, there's something 21 million fake LinkedIn profiles out there. So we have known that, um, bad actors, espionage has been going on through social media for quite some time. This is nothing new. Um, I actually think we do it. I'm not going to say yes or no, but I know I'm pretty sure we do it as well. So nothing is really safe as we know. And I would say that if you were concerned, then you block and you report. Uh, This is one thing that I think is really great with social media. It came about that a lot of information was being shared across many different platforms. And then I think when communities started saying, look, you know, there's bad things happening, you've got better and better opportunities to report, to block, to make sure that um, people cannot continue. But of course, they turn around and they set up another profile, but you do have some steps. Some of the other things that um, have happened as far as employment scams are concerned, and this is always a big trigger, is if you're asked to pay for something up front. So you have a really great job. It's going to be remote. It's, you know, the hours are going to be great, but you need to buy your own laptop. So here's a link to go and buy the laptop. And you're like, well, wait a minute. No. Employers should be providing you with the laptop that you're going to work on. You should not have to pay for that laptop. The same thing with you need to have a certain certification. You know, it's just a simple test. Go ahead and take this test and then pay for this certification and you'll get the job. Well, again, your employer is going to pay for that certification after you have the job. So very common tactics that are used in non employment, you know, ways are being used here. Um, 
looking at an email address. If someone says, hey, I'm contacting you from, you know, XYZ company and you look at the email address that comes from and it's not the same nomenclature as that company, I'd be suspicious. And I have yet to hear, but again, I work in a very specific community, of any employer asking in an email for any of your home address, for um, information about your family, your social security number. You know, all of those are done through a secure website. We all know to look for a secure website versus a non-secure website when you're entering any of the employment data. So people are going to make sure that you're highly emotional, that you're vulnerable, that you don't know the process. These are all the things that are going to make you more susceptible to an employment scam. So some of the things that I recommend is one, understand that you need to be grounded in this process. What do you want to find in your next job? Is it remote work? What kind of work are you looking at? Because a lot of times people get all wrapped up in all of the different things that are there without looking at, what am I really wanting to do with this next job? And then the next area that people are going to confuse you on is they're going to tell you that you applied for a job and start having a question, you know, start questioning you about, you know, what is your day like? What do you do? What are things? Well, why not keep a spreadsheet? of all of the jobs that you've applied for. Because I know sometimes there are a lot of job seekers who say, I applied to a hundred different jobs and somebody called me about a job and I thought that was the job. And then they started asking me all this information. I'd go back to a spreadsheet and making sure that that is a job that you actually did apply for. Mm-hmm. Um, that is one of the the more you know critical things that people come through. And then third, well, no, two more. <laughs> One is social media is friend and foe. You know, we can love it, we can hate it, we can get good information, we can get harassed. By and large, it is something that is going to help you in your job search. But it's important for you to understand how to stay engaged who to stay engaged with, especially if you are in job search or any kind of professional development, that you're always staying engaged and sort of keeping an eye on the landscape, understanding who are the players, who's influential, you know, do you want to know more about pen testing or reverse engineering? Who are the people you want to follow with that? And then who are those people in your network that you can rely upon so that when you are looking for a job, you have the tools to be able to reach out and talk to somebody and say, do you know a company? Do you know a recruiter that I can talk to rather than waiting for someone to call you or respond to a job posting that you you know posted your resume to? Mm-hmm. And finally, something that people rarely do, but I wish they would, is have a network of recruiters that they trust. Because if you have three to four recruiters that you've enjoyed talking to over the years, that you trust them, they understand your skills, you can always tap into them and say, you know, I someone reached out to me. I'm not quite sure about the company. I'm not quite sure about the person. Have you heard of them? So you have your own verification process. And that is always going to be better than, do I take this call or not? And 
I'm surprised that our jobs, our careers are so important to us, but we don't build this bench of resources in the way of trusted recruiters that we work with, that we like working with, that know our industry, know the people who are influential or not. So that is the, you know, one of the safeguards I would really recommend rather than, you know, saying, is this person legit or not? Make sure you you have some recruiters that you can talk to and ask them those questions. You know, just last night I was uh, chatting with a family member who's in the midst of a job job search and um, they were saying that one of the things they were running into were, uh, you know, different um, organizations would ask you to fill out forms as part of your application, but they kept running into forms that were asking for way too much. You know, what's your social security number? What's your bank account information? Things like that. And they, and they look like legitimate forms, but, you know, some of the places that forms are legitimate and some of them aren't. And it's can be a challenge to tell the difference. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're right. I mean, there is no employment form that I've ever experienced that has ever asked for bank information. And, you know, very rarely will they ask for your social security number until you're in the interview process. So they are, you know, needing that for U.S. citizenship verification, but Mm. it's not going to happen at the beginning of any kind of process. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's, again, it's preying on people's emotions. It's preying on them not knowing what a true recruitment process is all about. And I always, as I said at the beginning, be grounded in the process. If you're going to get, um, rattled really easily, then realize that you're going to expose yourself and it might be better to just sort of step back and like, okay, do I want to do this? How do I want to do it? Joe, what do you think? Scams are going to show up wherever there are opportunities for them. Mm. And they're going to take advantage of standard vulnerabilities that people have in their software, if you will. Yeah. Uh, And Right now in tech, there's been a bunch of layoffs and there are a bunch of tech people out there looking for jobs. Right. Uh, if you've been in tech, chances are you haven't ever experienced a layoff unless you were working in some defense contractor mm. um, or something like that where layoffs just happen mm-hmm. because budgets change. <laughs> contracts uh, come and contracts go. Right. And yeah. administrations have different focuses, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it's it's... This is an interesting period right now because there haven't really been these these kind of massive tech layoffs in recent memory, not since, uh, what, 2002 when that dot-com bubble crashed? Right. Right? So, you know, it's, it's been over 20 years. So yeah, yeah. Most people don't remember that. But in – or most people in the job force may not remember that. Sure. Uh, I'm glad that Kathleen knows that recruiters are terrible. <laughs> Uh, Kathleen is a recruiter, Joe. She, well, she's <laughs> she's not a recruiter. She works for a, an organization that does uh, job postings. Okay. So, and she says that in the interview. <laughs> okay. uh, and and she's right. There are different types of recruiters, and I've had uh, relative success with with internal recruiters, but third party recruiters uh, seem to me like a a position or a kind of position to emulate that just lends itself to scam. Uh, 
scam believability, okay. if you will. Uh-huh. You know, I work for this uh, third-party recruiting. I think we had a catch of the day last week that was a th- or maybe a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. There was a third-party uh, recruiting scam. Mm. You know, we're, we're recruiting for our people, for our customer. Right. And frankly, when I see a lot of these third-party recruiters coming into me with emails, they look like scams. Yeah. You know, it's just... At, I'm, fortunately, I'm at the point in my career where I just don't deal with third-party cr- recruiters anymore. Right. Uh, a, a new person in a in a in in any career doesn't have that luxury, and I understand that. Yeah. But um, it's it's nice to be in in a position, and everybody will get there over time, mm-hmm. where you can just say, "No, not doing it." Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I agree that it is uh, a particular line of employment that can lend itself to this sort of thing. I, I think about it like a lot of these folks who are kind of public facing who have to be out there contacting people every day. Right. Is that um, there are good ones and uh, the good ones make it look easy and there are bad ones and the bad ones uh, make, make you realize good. how hard it really is. Right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I appreciate the good ones for how good they are, but boy, it's hard to, in some of these industries, it's hard to break through the noise of the bad ones. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's, uh, it's, t- and, and I, I don't mean to sitting here and be sitting here and just openly criticizing blanketly. I guess I do mean to be doing Maybe that. Maybe a little, but, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I've met some third-party recruiters who I still have in my network, and actually one of them is no longer a recruiter. He does some kind of management with uh, another organization, and another one still is a recruiter but has moved on to another role. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, these, I like these guys. Yeah. They're both guys. Um. I should probably diversify my network a little bit, I guess. Um, <laughs> but you know, the, these guys were good, good folks. I didn't have, a, I didn't have an issue with them. Mm-hmm. The first scam that Kathleen talks about is a great example of striking while the iron is hot. Uh, so, for example, it, for the example she cites, a lot of recruiting companies or 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 defense contractors or clear, people that had clear jobs didn't know if they should get on the social uh, social networking bandwagon. Mm-hmm. And the scammers said, oh, we'll do that. <laughs> we'll get on there right now. They right. always know exactly what to do. They're, they're not bound by concerns, right? right? They don't care what happens. <laughs> All they want is the way to get people to give them money somehow. Amazing what you can do when you have no scruples. That's right. Yeah. You can be the first to market. Right. <laughs> even if you're fraudulent. Right. Um, but now there are companies that have entire business models based against based on protecting against this. Mm. Uh, Zero Fox comes to mind. Yeah, that, yeah, that's what they do. They go out and they find um, they find all of these uh, fake profiles. And another shocking thing that Kathleen said: twenty one million fake LinkedIn profiles. Mm-hmm. How many LinkedIn users are there? Twenty-one point one. Twenty-one point one million. I don't know. I mean, there's a lot, but it sure seems like uh, there's a lot of fake ones. I mean, I get, every day I probably get one or two invites that are clearly yeah manufactured or a quick Google synthetic. search says there are nine hundred million. Okay, and if there are twenty-one million fake, I first off. That's probably from some research that she's citing there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's probably the ones they could identify as definitely fake. Yeah, I'm going to say that number is probably high. Yeah, higher. Higher, rather. Yeah. That's that. That's a low estimate. Okay. So, yeah, that and and they're going to be the most active ones out there trying to scam you. Yeah. Um, they're going to be the ones you see the most. Maybe that's what I'm thinking about here. Maybe I got some kind of bias in my head about it. Mm. Um, red flags, paying for anything up front. Mm-hmm. You should never have to buy your own laptop and get reimbursed by the company. Right. Uh, you should never have to um, 
uh, buy a certification. By the way, that's a great scam. (laughs) As I think about it, because (laughs) they could tell you, you need some certification that, uh, that we have to have for everybody Mm -hmm. go to this site, take this test. Don't worry. You'll pass it and and you'll get the certification. And then you get it. You actually get a certification. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is something I could do in a week. (laughs) <laughs> and start telling people it's a hundred dollars to get the certification. We'll reimburse you for it. Right. Uh, I mean, that that's a great idea. <laughs> don't, don't fall for it. Okay. Uh, onboarding is a great opportunity for identity theft. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that, uh, that, uh, is, is key here. And Kathleen touches on it is don't start giving them your personal identifiable information until you have a job offer letter. And until you've, vetted this company and know that it's, you know, you, you, you've been to a job interview, mm-hmm. right? You know what they, what they do. You, you, you know who these, who these people are. Right. Um, you know, this is one of the problems with work from home is that you're going to be working from home. The CEO of your company might also be working from home. There are mm-hmm. companies now that don't have offices. Everybody works from home. Mm-hmm. How do you validate that? How do you mm-hmm. verify that? Right. You have to, um, have a network. And that's one of the things I'm getting to now is the recommendations. Uh, and I like, I like what Kathleen says here as her last recommendation. I'm going to put it first, have a network of people that you trust. And she says in the recruiting industry, and you can verify stuff with them. Mm. I think that's really important. I think having a network is just of, of paramount importance. And over time, everybody will build a network, but you know, it's just hard to maintain that network. Right. Takes, takes effort. Uh, be grounded and think about what you want and think about what you're doing and think about every single job offer that that comes to you. I'll tell you a story one time Mm. I had a, um, one time I was working at a defense contractor and I got laid off because priorities change, Dave. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, I was of course, frantically looking for a position and I got this one, uh, email that says, Hey, I want to submit you for this over here. And I'm like, uh, okay. And the guy submits my resume and that's it. I never hear from him again, hmm. but I was keeping track of, uh, of everything that I was doing with a, uh, with a notebook and, and Kathleen recommends a spreadsheet, which is good. Yeah. But then another third party recruiter calls me, has a conversation with me and says, I'd like to submit you for the same position. Hmm. I'm like, ah, this other guy already submitted me. Hmm. Right. So, uh, I wrote to the first guy and I got very terse emails back. This guy was from one of those organizations like Kathleen was talking about that are just throw as much at the wall as you can and see what sticks. Yeah. Um, and this is one of the reasons I don't, I, I'm not really a fan of third party recruiters as a, as a general practice. You know, just this week I saw some mention, uh, online, some folks were talking about a recruiting scam, um, where, and, Well, let me describe it to you and we can unpack exactly what the scam is. So let's say I'm the recruiter, right? And I want to generate some business, okay? So I'm looking around and I'm checking on social media. I'm checking resumes. I'm checking talks on YouTube or whatever. And I identify a top, let's just say a top cybersecurity professional, Right. right? Someone with really good talent. And then I call up a company and I say, hey, I've got this top talent here. Uh, who I'm representing, and uh, what do you think about them? They're they're interested in your company, and the people at the company go, "What us? That person? Wow! Oh, okay, huh? Interesting. Uh, sure, sure, sure. Let's let's do it." And then the recruiter calls the person 
who they have never spoken to before. Right. And says, I got a hot lead for you on a job possibility. <laughs> I just got contacted by my client, this company, and they are really interested in you. Can I make a connection? Now, that's dishonest. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> How I does would... that not get past the first interview? It must work to a certain degree. I mean, do you, I, I'm just trying to think in an interview, would you care about who contacted who first? Like, where? at what point would that come up, I guess, in the process? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, right? Right. Uh, well, maybe... Um, Maybe in the interview, uh, the guy says, oh, hello, Mr. Cybersecurity Superstar. We are very excited that you're interested in our company mm-hmm. and that you reached out to us. Mm-hmm. I didn't reach out to you. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's how it comes up. I don't know. Yeah. But, you know, it's scammy. Yeah, it is scammy. <laughs> Anything else? Um, I like the idea of keeping a spreadsheet. And uh, she talks about, because uh, it helps you remember where things were. Yeah. Um, if I ever have to do another job search, I will keep a spreadsheet. Yeah. Um, the social media is friend and foe. And I think, I tend to think it's more foe. Yeah. Friend. But, you know, I hate social social media <laughs> so much. Right, right. Yeah. All right. Well, our thanks to Kathleen Smith for joining us. Again, she is from clearjobs.net. And um, I've known Kathleen for a number of years now. She's one of those folks who puts a tremendous amount of time back into the community, just... Uh, making connections and helping people and volunteering and all that good stuff. So she's she's one of those good people out there, and I'm glad that she took the time for us this week. So thanks to Kathleen for joining us. It was a great interview. We want to thank all of you for listening, and of course, we want to thank our sponsors at Know Before. They are experts at enabling a fully integrated approach to security awareness training. That is our show. We want to thank all of you for listening. Our thanks to Harbor Labs and the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at harborlabs.com and isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our senior producer is Jennifer Iben. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.